edge life You're too close to the ledge We gon' push you forward a few steps ahead It's that edge life Oh, oh Gotta get it in your head Baby, welcome to the edge life You're too close to the ledge We gon' push you forward a few steps ahead It's that edge life Oh, oh Gotta get it in your head Welcome to the edge life Every time I hear that intro, I just get straight to the I know, you could listen to like all two and a half, however many minutes it is. But welcome to According To. Yes, this is According To. Number two. Another segment from The Edge Live. This is where we speak to people who are using their faith and their faith-filled stories to move the culture forward. Absolutely, because that's what we do. If you hear the theme song, it says we're going to help you move forward. Two steps ahead. Two steps ahead. So we're looking for people that are helping others to move forward two steps ahead so we know this is going to be enlightening for you and encouraging for you we need to hear about people using their faith like real stories because it, it, it encourages you yep, yep, yep. And, and, and i love how you say real stories real stories you know, honestly speaking sometimes we see things that just look they, they look put on. They look fake. They, they, they don't look real. So it's always good to be able to truly see real stories and real people. Right, because when you see people living through real life situations and overcoming them, it, like I said, it encourages you. It helps you to move forward knowing that, you know what, if they can do it, I can, can do, do it, it too. That's right. That's right. And and today, you all, we we have an amazing um, guest today. Uh, this is a friend of of Carrie and, and, and mine. Um, this guy right here. Listen, when when we begin the process of of planting um, Crossover Church ATL, and we found out that we're going to be executive pastors. Um, many of you know that we pastored before, right? But executive pastor and, you know, pastor, pastor, th those are two totally different things. Yeah. So this is one of the first guys who literally reached out to me. I reached out to him and was able to help me to to just kind of meld and, and, and understand what it means to be an executive pastor. Yeah, right? what it means to be second, what it means to be number two. How do you lead from the you, second seat? Yeah, right? How do you undergird? Um, someone who's an apostle who, you know, has a great vision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and honey, the coolest thing was as I, as I began learning about Chris and, and learning and understanding his story, and as we begin learning and understanding his story, there are so many different layers. You know, mm -hmm. it's one of those things. It's like, you think, you know, but you, but you have, have no, no idea. idea right? It's like an onion. Exactly, exactly. So, so today, what we are going to do, everybody, we I want to introduce you all to a friend of ours, and he will be a friend of yours here in just a few seconds, Doctor Christopher Brooks. Hey, Chris, what's hey, going what's on, up, man? What's hey. Up? Round of applause, man! Everybody's clapping for you, brother. They're, they're all clapping for you. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, man. So, so first and foremost, Chris, listen. Welcome to According To uh, here with The Edge Life. We are so um, honored just to have you on the show on today. I'm honored to be with you guys. I can't wait to get in. All right. Awesome. Awesome. I like well, it when they're eager. Exactly. Exactly. This is going to listen. This is going to be phenomenal. So, so, so listen, Chris, um, I, we know you, right? But, but the people don't know who Dr. Christopher Brooks is. So could you just briefly, you know, just share with the people like, like, who are you? What, what do you do? What, what's your background? Share, share that with the people. So I'm going to frame it in, um, briefly. I'm, I call myself a reformed knucklehead. Uh, so I used to sort of run the streets and be a thug. 
now I've got my doctorate degree. That's why y'all follow me, Dr. Christopher Brooks. That's right. Um, I actually lead a couple of different companies. I lead a consulting company called Issachar Advisors that works with um, churches and large organizations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I co-lead a venture capital fund called Brown Venture Group that is focused on black and Latino technology entrepreneurs. Amazing. Um, in my spare time, I teach classes adjunct. I teach business and urban studies. And the thing is probably a uh, little bit, a little bit. Uh, and the most important thing, actually, for you all to know and for your listeners to know is that I'm a husband of 23 years all and right. now we're raising four children. Hey, so, yeah. Yeah, That's lots going on, lots going on. That's what I'm Absolutely. Talking about. We totally get it. That busy, busy life. You said uh, Issachar, and that perked up my ears. Yeah. The men of Issachar who knew the the signs and knew what to do, who saw the signs and knew yeah. what to do. That's it. Those Absolutely. were Israel's strategists. So yeah. we're a strategy, strategy consultancy. And, awesome. And, you know, the cool thing about strategy, and, and I, I kind of said this, I alluded to this early when we're introducing you, Chris, you know, you are a strategist. I mean, like, I've never seen someone work some markers quite like Christopher Brooks can can work some markers on, right. on, on a board and putting them together. And, and literally, I'm sitting there, I'm like, how in the world did he, it's, it's like graffiti strategy. I mean, like, it is amazing. He's got the murder board with the. Oh, hey, he kills it. He kills it. No pun intended right there. No None pun intended. intended. So tell us a little bit about um, how you encountered Christ and uh, who influenced your Jesus story. So I was raised in a Christian home. Both of my parents were very churchy. Um, we grew up going to VBS, going to summer camp, going to everything. Right. And um, by the time I got to the summer between seventh and eighth grade, the summer of 1987, uh, I was at the place where I heard the call for people to come up front and accept Jesus. And mm -hmm. I went up front and accepted Jesus and they walked me straight down to the lake and dunked me. And I like to say that in 1987, Jesus became my savior. There was a seed planted. I knew who Jesus was. I knew that um, my life was kind of a hot mess. Um, my junior high life was just not, not going the way that it should mm -hmm. morally. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, there was a seed. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, in 1991, four years later, Mm -hmm. uh, I have I found myself deeply involved with the gangs, although that seed had been planted. It had not really mm -hmm. been watered. I hadn't been paying too much attention to it. Right. And in 1991, as a senior in high school, about to head off to college with a scholarship, I got arrested for attempted murder, first degree armed robbery and first degree burglary. Wow. Wow. And me and some of my guys uh, mm -hmm. robbed a drug house. And in the process of that robbery, we almost killed a man in front of his young daughter. So I was sitting down at the juvenile detention center mm -hmm. trying to figure out if I still had a future. And that's when, when Jesus really got a hold of me. Um, there was a guy in the cell block next to me who was a devout Muslim. His name was Kagali Brown. We called him KB. Mm -hmm. And he was the only person I could talk to because I was in the corner. So I couldn't talk to the person above me. Mm -hmm. And he was on the one side of me. So we would stay up really late at night and debate theology. He would wow. um, come from the Quran, and he knew his Quran. And I would attempt to come from my Bible, and I really didn't know my Bible. But wow, during that right. time being locked up at juvenile detention, I got to know my Bible. Yes, um, so in, I, I like to say that in the juvenile detention center, my senior year of high school, Jesus became my Lord. He tra sort of transitioned Amen. from just being my Savior to like being my Lord and having all of my life. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. And, and, and Chris, I, I, wa- I want to interrupt you real quick. Um, You know, last week I had the opportunity of, of coming to your hometown of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it did, hold Minnesota. on, let me say it. Minnesota. I, I got to say it correctly. I got to say it correctly. <laughs> but uh, it, it was amazing. Um, Chris actually kind of took me on, on, a, on a tour of the city, if you will. And, and there was one particular place when we, we got to the corner downtown. Chris, you remember what I'm talking about when you were showing me the, the juxtaposition, I guess, from, you know, that senior year of high school to, to what we saw on the other side? Can, can, you, can you share yeah. with the, the listeners uh, about that picture? So basically, the juvenile detention center sits directly across from the brand new Viking Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium. And um, when I was locked up in high school, we were just a stone's throw from the action. But when you're locked up in juvenile detention, all you have is this tiny little window. So I was watching the world go by very, very quickly from this tiny little window. And it just really impacted me that I didn't want to be inside. I didn't want to be locked up i wanted my freedom and i wanted to do whatever it took to actually keep my freedom yeah wow yeah honestly honey while while we're driving around like i literally saw the visual and and the stadium is this huge specimen they have a Mm. courtyard i mean it's beautiful but right next door is that juvenile detention center so i i could just see it playing over and over and over in my mind so 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 chris let, let me transition just a little bit because you know one one of the things that you said earlier you said you're a reformed knucklehead right so so can can you share with with our audience just a little bit about um you know where where you not only just came from but but what has it taken you to to do right now I mean, I, again, we know some of the things that, that you've been doing, some of the places that you've been going. Can, can you just share, just, uh, just give us a, a glimpse of your life right now? So let me just give you just a little tiny bit more of the backstory. So I, I got out of the juvenile detention center in the middle of my senior year by a miraculous set of circumstances. Nothing hit my adult record. I didn't do any adult time. Wow. And I just basically exited all of the gang activity and inappropriate relationships that I was in and went Mm. off to Bible college. Wow. Oh, man. So fast forward four years. uh, I do four years of Bible college. I graduated. My first job out of Bible college was the juvenile detention center where I was locked up. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So I became a juvenile corrections officer. Talk about Um, redemption. Right. (laughs) Yeah. it's It's a wild story. But let me tell you what the most important thing is. When I was down there, um, number one, I was remembering a lot of my experience down there. And, you know, I, I had like a 3.9 GPA. And so mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out, like, how does a kid with a 3.9 GPA get locked up down at the JDC? Well, I, then when I was working down there as a corrections officer, I saw a lot of kids that were like that. Right. Yeah. A lot of really smart kids, a lot of really talented kids. There was one guy that came in that had a full ride scholarship to play basketball, D1 at Kentucky, mm. got into a, 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 a domestic with his girlfriend and that was it. He was done. They locked him up. He went away. Wow. Um, so from, from, from my high school experience on that side of the law to my juvenile correctional experience on the other side of the law, working as a corrections officer, I really began to think really deeply about justice and really to think about how does God see justice? What right. does that mean? And so I focus my life right now on what I call biblical justice. This is a term that I created several years ago to describe a biblical approach to social justice. Because when you use the word social justice in certain church settings, mm-hmm. people start tripping, right? Yeah, like they go crazy. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think biblical justice, that language helps me talk to people that ain't trying to hear about no social justice. Mm, and when yeah. I say biblical justice, that allows me to leverage the Bible to explain to them that God's the author of justice, not mm. our legal system in America, not, you know, either political party at the top of the American food chain. It's there God. You go. That's right. That's right. 
I, I, I love that. And just listening to you as you're, as you're even explaining biblical justice and, and the vantage point or the lens that you're coming from, right? I mean, you've lived this. You've seen it. You've breathed it. You, you, you sat in those actual, that actual cell, right? So to be able to talk and, and, and talk about how, how God sees this, man, that must be an amazing, amazing thing for you, right? It is. And I came up with like a little sort of like hood definition. Um, so when I first started using the phrase biblical justice, no one had heard it before. People thought it was kind of strange. So I started out, you know, like writing wrongs, writing wrongs in Jesus name. I, I sort of tinkered for a while. I've landed on this one, replacing human suffering with human flourishing in Jesus name. Oh, wow. Wow. So that's what God, you know, when, when the Bible says I have come that they may have life and life to the full or life abundantly, that's human flourishing. So what God wants is for his people to identify human suffering and then in his name to alleviate that and replace it with human flourishing. So that's what I'm about. Oh, that, that, that's awesome. Mm. That's awesome. So at what point did you realize that it was God's word that caused you to flourish? So you talked about the seed being planted, but at what point did you really feel, okay, I've broken the surface? You know, it was my freshman year of Bible college. So again, I'm like straight off the street. Um, I was thugging, you know, packing heat to school and everything. And so when I went to Bible college, I just made the decision, like, I'm going to go in. I'm going to try to figure this out. I'm going to, you know, learn what I can. And my, my freshman year, I had a professor named Dr. Christopher Davis. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Davis was just the funniest, nerdiest, just a little tiny dude. Um, but he came in the first day of class. He had on a robe like a, like a king, had a, a crown on his head, had a scepter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Came into the classroom and banged on the floor three times. Boom, boom, boom. And he said, context is king. Wow. Context is king. When you're trying to understand God's word, context is king. Yeah. Wow. And as I reflected on that over the years, and even when I heard it back then, I kept thinking, I need to understand my context. Mm, so that yeah. I can help the Bible make sense to people in my context. Mm. Right. And so that's really that Dr. Davis is something on the wow. floor with his sector. That's really what got me thinking about how do I help people that do not come from the majority culture understand mm-hmm. that God actually cares about them and, and God actually wants just outcomes for them. That's where it started. Right. Mm, yeah. That's so amazing. Um, how you just take, we all take a little bit of our experience right. and then use it as part of our ability to shift or impact and, and how God couples that with your gift. Yeah. So Chris, talk to us a little bit about that gift or what you really feel is the expertise in which you use to really cause, um, that you feel is really going to cause the culture to, to shift. To shift. Yeah, that's good. So I think that what's missing most right now in the body of Christ is connective tissue. Mm. Um, you know, you've got different denominations and different churches that all have their, their unique expertise, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the Baptists who are sort of like theologians, and you've got the Methodists who are really, really good at certain things. You've got the Evangelical Free Church. You've got the Presbyterians. Like everybody's got a thing they do or, or a few things they do. And they do those things very well. And they've got enormous gaps that the other ones fill in. Mm. And they're like, they're like perfectly formed body parts that have no connective tissue and therefore are not connected. Therefore, you never really get the value of the entire body working together. Wow. Yeah. So I think about myself as like a connective tissue builder. 
Mm. And again, this goes back to talking about biblical justice. I can't talk about social justice with conservatives. And, you know, with my liberal friends, I can't talk about sort of like Calvinistic theology. They, right, like everybody right. just can't handle it. So you've right. got to, I, I find myself doing a lot of translating, um, doing a lot of exegesis of culture mm-hmm. and trying to really understand what words, what theological stories, what, what can I use? to help this part of the body of Christ build connective tissue to other parts of the body of Christ so that eventually the body of Christ will function like a full body, at which point we'll be really unstoppable. And right now I feel like that lack of connective tissue is really hurting us. Yeah, especially, Chris, you know, um, with the with the climate of, of our country today, you know, some people probably would say it seems like we're going backwards instead of forwards. Um, you know, how, how do you stand as that connective tissue? Like, like are, are there any practical things that, that even our listeners could do um, to continue to, to be that connective tissue um, and stand on the Word of God? Yeah, so I, I'm going to go hyper-local to actually sort of point this one out. So okay. in my metro area, the Twin Cities metro area of Minneapolis and St. Paul, non-Christian religions are growing at three times the rate of Christianity. Wow. Mm. We have in our metro area around 900,000 first and second generation immigrants that have not yet had the opportunity to properly respond to the gospel. Mm. They've just never heard it in their own way, in their own language, in a way that is contextually appropriate to them, right? right. You walk up to some of these immigrant communities and throw a tract at them on the street, like that means nothing. It means right. nothing, literally mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am finding myself helping the body of Christ in the Twin Cities metro area think strategically and critically about the numbers, about our methodology, about the underlying assumptions that we're using as we're trying to reach people, and the old wineskins of the global missions of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, those aren't working today. Mm. Um, right. You know, we, we used to jump on airplanes and go reach people, and now God, by his grace, brought the nations to us, and we can't use an airplane methodology when we're trying to reach mm. people in our own city. Right, right, wow. right. Wow, that's, that's, that's so really powerful, and I think sometimes... People don't understand um, that the Bible doesn't always translate culturally relevant for others just on its own and how we have a responsibility to ensure that um, people understand and that just like you're sharing your real story, like this is what this made the word real. Right. Um, We're making it real through the story that you're sharing right now. It's culturally relevant for someone who has experienced a life similar to yours or has a, you know, their skin color is the same. Um, socioeconomics are, are similar, but it isn't, it doesn't always just, tra- it doesn't translate itself. Right. Um, I think older generations, like you were speaking of, you know, we, we focus so much on um, spreading the gospel outside of the United States. Mm. We're seeing our young people leave the church um, in droves. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's really, really, really sad. So we do need that connective tissue because the body is just it's without form Mm. and without movement yeah let me add a a business analogy to sharpen this up a little bit so in business when you have um a customer and a vendor um you know you call it a value exchange one person exchanges value with the person on the other side of the table Mm -hmm. and i am trying right now to get the body of christ to understand that god's capacity to give us the nations to give us the right kind of relationships for effective evangelism far outstrips our capacity to receive. In my metro area, we have the largest population of Somalians outside of that region in Africa where the Somali community lives. Mm. 
And if a thousand Somali people gave their life to Christ today and showed up at one of our white suburban mega churches, people would lose their mind. You're yeah, right. you're right. All the conceal and carry people would be packing, following them around the building. Right. You know, moms would be hiding their little kids, all of that stuff. So at some point, if we're serious about evangelism, if we're serious about the gospel being preached to all the nations, we have to really build some capacity in our churches that right now badly lack capacity. That's very good. And, and, and Chris, one of the things that I, I know we were talking about um, as you talk about the Somali community and just some of the things that, that God has positioned you to be able to do, um, even, you know, going over to, to Ghana and things like that. Can, can you share just a little bit about how um, the Lord is uniquely using you um, to, again, uh, and just to use your, your, your words to be that, that connective tissue? Yes. So I believe that the most effective evangelism is highly relational. It's the way Jesus did it, yeah. the way the early church did it. Yes. Um, it was life on life. You know, discipleship, when you're dropping in on somebody, throwing some evangelistic words at them and then disappearing forever, that just doesn't feel to me like sticky evangelism. Right. The hot so I'm always looking looking for relationships. I'm always looking for opportunities where I know that it's a long-term play, right? When I go to the diner, as an example, I'll meet somebody and I might go to the diner for five, 10 years before I ever feel like there's enough relational tissue built that I could actually pop the question and it would be appropriate. Anytime before that to me feels like an indecent proposal. Mm, um, the same is true with the Islamic community. I have yeah. been invited into some spaces where most Christians don't get invited. I've been to parts of Africa that are 100% Islamic. I've been to um, Pakistan, I've been on the Somalia-Africa border, I've just been some places. And what I have found is, if you care about the people, if you really care about their well-being, if you don't come, you know, as some sort of like missionary and, and bring that sort of missionary mindset, if you just go in and you're like, I want human flourishing because God wants human flourishing. Right. People open up doors, people, you know, feed you meals in their homes, they, they bless you, they invite you back. Right. They invite you to sit on boards. Yes. These are the things that are happening to me right now. I'm being blessed and invited to sit on boards and invited to speak into areas that Christians have had almost no influence in for most of modern history. Um, and it's not because I'm smarter than all of the other people who care about Jesus. It's not because I, my, my degree is better than their degree or whatever. It's because I'm all about human flourishing. Yeah. And human flourishing is a global language that you don't have to translate. Everybody mm -hmm. wants their kids to succeed. So true. I, I love, you know, one of the things that, that I keep on hearing you say is, is, you know, we have to build those positive relationships and be willing to to build the long-term positive relationships as opposed to, you know, I, I, and I say this, and, and no, no, no offense, you know, um, the hot dog ministry, <laughs> you know, when, when literally we're going out, we're not building relationships, we're giving someone a hot dog and a track and, and thinking that that's going to be the thing to drive them or draw them to, to Christ, you know. Carrie and I, as, as we've really been just um, playing this in, in, in our mind and talking about relationships and effective relationship building, you know, we said this just the other day and we'll be talking about it on, on Edge Life, um, you know, at some point in time where, you know, people, all they really want, people want to be noticed you know, they want to be accepted, they want to feel needed, and, and they want to feel loved. You know, and at the end of the day, that's what building relationships is all about. Because if we build that honest relationship, guess what? People are willing to to have that that great exchange as you spoke about a little while ago, Chris. Absolutely. And and I, I just want to, I heard you say if 
uh, a couple of times in reference to if the church really wants to evangelize the world. Mm. Uh, what makes you say if, Christopher? It's primarily because when I visit churches, and I visit churches all over the nation, I've been doing this for years, I take notes, um, I aggregate those notes, I find macro trends. I am finding that churches are much more interested in, you know, consistently good child care for a specific group of families that are core members, rather than saying it might be a little bit messy, it might be a little bit different if we have to have child care effective for a, a wide variety of families or some different families. I mean, this whole debate about Jesus's ethnicity that's been going on for decades in, in America, I mean, the Bible should have ended that the day it started. Jesus was sure. a medium-skinned Jew. Right. But we still have all these pictures up, and we still have all of these Sunday school curriculums, and we still have all this stuff that really says we're more concerned about us than we are about reaching them. Wow. And if it's all about us and it's not about them, I don't know what to do. So to that, if you could just give maybe just a few pointers about building relationships, and I heard you say for the long haul, what are the, you know, the, the couple of standouts that you recommend when you go into places? What does the church have to do to change those ifs to wins? So I, I, would, I would say the do actually has to follow the be. And the be yes. is you have to be a person that wants the same success for other people's children that you want for your children, that wants the same family strength in other communities that you have in your community or in your family. And so it is hypocritical to go into a community where you don't have any relationships and, you know, where for a wide variety of reasons there's family disintegration and start preaching the gospel with never a care about where are all the fathers or with never a care mm, about right. how can we help strengthen marriages or with never a care about what, what opportunities are these children going to have if they don't get a world-class education. Mm. Right. Right. We have to, it's, again, it's replacing human suffering with human flourishing in Jesus name. Mm. And that, that is the, the foundation for effective evangelism. And I, look, I know that there are people that have, been handed a tract on the street or been preached to on the corner and they've accepted Christ. But I would say that they are anomalous. Yeah. They are the, the, the minority and the lion's share of the majority are people who really are not impacted by that stuff. And if they are impacted by it, it's usually negatively. Mm. They're tired of people yelling at them, telling them they're going to hell, asking them questions about what would happen if they died tonight. Like they're tired of all that. Right. Yeah. You know what they want? They want somebody to say, I want your kids to succeed. I want your marriage to succeed. Or if you're a single parent, I want you to succeed. I want you to have life to the full. I want your family to have life to the full. I want your community to have life to the full. And the inappropriate things that have been happening in this community for decades because we keep oppressing folks, Jesus isn't cool with that, so I'm not cool with that. That's Mm. what people want. Yeah, I always say that, you know, we can't wait to the crisis to show people or point people where Christ is. And, um, you know, I I think that's where we are, unfortunately. Um, well, and here's the other thing I would say, Carrie, when you, when you look at how we define immorality or crisis or dysfunction, I mean, I know a lot of suburban families that are bathing in money mm-hmm. and their, their kids are jacked. They're just right? Like, right? Exactly. Their marriages, that, that does not equate being out of a crisis. <laughs> right. Like their marriages are not good. No. Right. Their, their, their Christianity, as far as like them being disciplined and vibrant, it's not happening. So. Right. 
pointing your finger at folks in the inner city or in other communities and saying, you know, because the schools are not as good or because a lot of the dads are locked up and saying, you all are immoral, you're sinful, God's judging you and not pointing, looking in the mirror and pointing the finger at yourself and saying, I never see my kids. My kids would rather be on their phone than talk to me. I mean, yeah. it's hypocritical. Right. Absolutely. We could talk forever. Like I'm so intrigued, but we're about <laughs> we're about out of time. Leave us with a last word, and then we would love for you to just um, pray, pray over the audience. Yeah. So my final word, I think I would like to offer your listeners would be lean in to the scriptures around justice. Mm -hmm. There are a couple thousand of them, um, and we've for for most of American history because of our terrible history of enslaving black people and you know an attempted genocide on native america we've avoided those scriptures because they're painful they point mm -hmm. us to our past they right. they show us that we need to repent we need, at the, in this season of american history we actually need to lean into those we need to feel that we need to understand god's heart for justice we need to stop calling all calls for justice some sort of social conspiracy wow this is not a social conspiracy this is actually biblical theology for the Lord loves justice. Yes, he does. So I, I would encourage everybody who is hearing my voice through the podcast right now to lean in, to pay attention when they cross those, those passages on justice, and to ask themselves different questions about, you know, we, we train our people theologically to read the Bible and say, how does this apply to me? Well, I would, I would challenge everybody to read those justice scriptures and say, how does that apply to me? Mm. What can I do to make this world a more just place? What can I do? to partner with God in his ongoing quest for human flourishing. That's what I think Christians need to do in America today. That's so good. Mm. Woo. Uh, listen, we, we, I feel like we're just getting started. So, but anyways, <laughs> my, my friend, Dr. Christopher Brooks, if, if you can uh, just, just pray for the listeners right now, um, pray that, you know, that they're able to, to do these things that, that you've shared with us today, pray that they're able to look themselves in the mirror so we can uh, we can have a not only a, a better america but a better world sure so father god we just pray right now that you would work on all of us myself included um, reveal to us the parts of our heart that have grown hard or maybe have been hard for a long time and help us to see everybody on planet earth as people who bear your image and as people who you would like to see flourish and, and I just pray, Lord God, that all of us would start thinking more critically about your position on justice, how you author justice, how your word is full of passages on justice. And then help us to embed those things into our theology and into our practices, into our mythology, so that when we engage people that are different than us, we don't engage them always looking to pop a question, but we engage them thinking, we need to help these folks flourish in Jesus' name. Yes. Yes. And God, we pray that when that happens, them asking about you will be unstoppable and we'll have all kinds of answers. Wow. So this is our prayer, God. Help us be justice people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Christopher, as the audience cheers for you, tell them where they can find you on social media because you got good stuff. Well, so listen, um, all of my social media handles are Chris B. Brooks with two B's in the middle. So C-H-R-I-S-B-B-R-O-O-K-S. That's, that's Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and my website is ChrisBBrooks.com. So I've tried to keep it consistent. You made it easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, you know, there's Chris Brooks, who's a gymnast. There's Chris Brooks, who's a pastor in Detroit. There's yep. Chris Brooks, who's the vice president of WebMD. So I'm trying to be 
Chris Brooks, the justice guy. That's right. All right, Crispy Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Crispy Brooks. Well, listen, yes, Dr. Brooks, thank you yes, so much sir. for, for joining you. us today. This has been enlightening, for, I know, for us, and I, I know that it is also going to be just as enlightening for all of those people who are listening on today. So um, with that being said, thank you again for tuning in to according to here with the edge life man we're, we're everybody gonna, flourish in jesus name everybody flourish in jesus name right yes i love it i love it i love it awesome well listen god bless you all thank we, you so much we, we appreciate you all so much and um we'll get with you on the next time all according right. to god according bless to. you amen Close to the ledge. We gon' push you forward a few steps ahead. It's that edge line.